Part two, chapter fourteen of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, the Vortex, chapter fourteen. After Nicholas, Veronica, and after Veronica, Michael. Anthony and Francis sat in the beautiful drawing room of their house, one on each side of the fireplace. They had it all to themselves except for the cats, Tito and Timmy, who crouched on the hearthrug at their feet. Frances's forehead and her upper lip were marked delicately with shallow, tender lines. Anthony's eyes had crow's feet at their corners, pointing to grey hairs at his temples. To each other their faces were as they had been fifteen years ago. The flight of time was measured for them by the generations of the cats that had succeeded Jane and Jerry for still in secret they refused to think of their children as grown up. Dorothy was upstairs in her study writing articles for the Women's Franchise Union. They owed it to her magnanimity that they had one child remaining with them in the house. John was at Cheltenham, Veronica was in Dresden. Michael was in Germany, too, at that school of forestry at Aschaffenburg, which Anthony had meant for Nicky. They couldn't bear to think where Nicky was. When Frances thought about her children now, her mind went backwards. If only they hadn't grown up. If only they could have stayed little forever. In another four years, even Don Don would be grown up. Don Don, who was such a long time getting older that, at fourteen, only two years ago, he had been capable of sitting in her lap, a great, long-legged, flumbering puppy, while mother and son rocked dangerously together in each other's arms, like two children laughing together, mocking each other. She was going to be wiser with Don Don than she had been with Nicky. She would be wiser with Michael when he came back from Germany. She would keep them both out of the vortex, the horrible vortex that Lawrence, Stephen, and Vera had let Nicky in for, the vortex that seized on youth and forced it into a corrupt maturity. After Desmond's affair, Anthony and Francis felt that to them the social circle inhabited by Vera and Lawrence Stephen would never be anything but a dirty hell. As for Veronica, the longer she stayed in Germany, the better. Yet Francis knew that they had not sent Veronica to Dresden to prevent her mother from getting hold of her. When she remembered the fear she had had of the apple-tree house, she said to herself that Desmond was a judgment on her for sending little Veronica away and yet it was the kindest thing they could have done for her. Veronica was happy in Dresden, living with a German family and studying music and the language. She had no idea that music and the language were mere blinds, and that she had been sent to the German family to keep her out of Nicky's way. They would have them all back again at Christmas. Francis counted the days. From tonight, the 7th of June, to December the 20th, was not much more than six months. Tonight, the 7th of June, was Nicky's wedding night, but they did not know that. Nicky had kept the knowledge from them, in his mercy, to save them the agony of deciding whether they would recognize the marriage or not. And as neither Francis nor Anthony had ever faced squarely the prospect of disaster to their children, they had turned their backs on Nicky's marriage and supported each other in the hope that at the last minute something would happen to prevent it. The ten o'clock post and two letters from Germany. Not from Michael, not from Veronica. One from Frau Schaefer, the mother of the German family. 
It was all in German, and neither Anthony nor Francis could make out more than a word here and there. Das süße liebe Mädchen meant Veronica, but certain phrases, traurige Nachrichten, furchtbare Schwächheit, eine entsetzliche Blutlehre, terrified them, and they sent for Dorothy to translate. Dorothy was a good German scholar, but somehow she was not very fluent. She scowled over the letter. What does it mean, said Francis? Hemorrhage? No, no, anemia, severe anemia, heart and stomach trouble. But traurige Nachrichten is bad news. They're breaking it to us that she's dying. It was unbearable to think of Nicky marrying Ronnie, but it was more unbearable to think of Ronnie dying. They don't say they're sending us bad news. They say they think Ronnie must have had some, to account for her illness, because they say she's been so happy with them. But what bad news could she have had? Perhaps she knows about Nicky. But nobody's told her, unless Vera has. She hasn't. I know she hasn't. She didn't want her to know. Well, then. Mummy, you don't have to tell Ronnie things. She always knows them. How on earth could she know a thing like that? She might. She sort of sees things, like Ferdy. She may have seen him with Desmond. You can't tell. Do they say what the doctor thinks? Yes. He thinks it's worry and heimweh, homesickness. They want us to send for her and take her back, not let her have another term. Though Frances loved Veronica, she was afraid of her coming back, for she was more than ever convinced that something would happen and that Nicky would not marry Desmond. The other letter was even more difficult to translate or to understand when translated. The authorities at Aschaffenburg requested Herr Harrison to remove his son Michael from the School of Forestry. Michael, after his first few weeks, had done no good at the school. In view of the expense to Herr Harrison involved in his fees and maintenance, they could not honestly advise his entering upon another term. It would only be a deplorable throwing away of money on a useless scheme. His son Michael had no thoroughness, no practical ability, and no grasp whatever of theoretic detail. From Herr Harrison's point of view, this was the more regrettable, inasmuch as the young man had colossal decision and persistence and energy of his own. He was an indefatigable dreamer, very likely, when his dreams had crystallized, a poet. But the idea Herr Harrison had had that his son Michael would make a man of business or an expert in forestry was altogether fantastic and absurd. And from the desperate involutions of the final sentence, Dorothy disentangled the clear fact that Michael's personal charm, combined with his hostility to discipline, his complete indifference to the aims of the authorities, and his utter lack of any sense of responsibility, made him a dangerous influence in any school. That was the end of Anthony's plans for Michael. The next morning Nicky wired from some village in Sussex. Married yesterday, Nicky. After that, nothing seemed to matter. With Nicky gone from them, they were glad to have Michael back again. Francis said they might be thankful for one thing, that there wasn't any German Peggy or any German Desmond in Michael's problem. And since both Michael and Veronica were to be removed at once, the simplest arrangement was that he should return to Dresden and bring her back with him. Francis had never been afraid for Michael. Michael knew that he had made havoc of his father's plans. He couldn't help that. His affair was far too desperate, and any other man but his father 
would have foreseen that the havoc was inevitable and would have made no plans he knew he had been turned into the tree-travelling scheme that had been meant for nicky because though nicky had slipped out of it his father simply couldn't bear to give up his idea and no wonder when the dear old thing had so few of them he had been honest with his father about it every bit as honest as nicky had been he had wanted to travel if he could go to china and japan just as nicky had wanted to travel if he could go to places like the west indies and the himalayas and he didn't mind trying to get the trees in when he was there he was even prepared to accept germany and the school for forestry if germany was the only way to china and japan but he had told his father not to mind if nothing came of it at the end of all the travelling and his father had said he would take the risk he preferred taking the risk to giving up his idea and michael had been honest with himself he had told himself that he too must take some risks and the chances were that a year or two in germany wouldn't really hurt him things never did hurt you as much as you thought they would he had thought that cambridge would do all sorts of things to him and cambridge had not done anything to him at all as for oxford it had given him nearly all the solitude and liberty he wanted and more companionship than he was ever likely to want at twenty-two michael was no longer afraid of dying before he had finished his best work in spite of both universities he had done more or less what he had meant to do before he went to germany his work had not yet stood the test of time but to make up for that he himself in his uneasy passion for perfection like time destroyed almost as much as he created still after some pitiless eliminations enough of his verse remained for one fine thin book it would be published if lawrence stephen approved of the selection so michael argued even if he died tomorrow, there was no reason why he should not go to Germany today. He was too young to know that he acquiesced so calmly because his soul was for a moment appeased by accomplishment. He was too young to know that his soul had a delicate, profound, and hidden life of its own, and that in secret it approached the crisis of transition. It was passing over from youth to maturity like a sleepwalker, unconscious, enchanted, seeing its way without seeing it safe only from the dangers of the passage if nobody touched it and if it went alone michael had no idea of what germany could and would do to his soul otherwise he might have listened to what paris had to say by way of warning for his father had given him a fortnight in paris on his way to germany as the reward of acquiescence that from herr harrison's point of view was a disastrous blunder how could the dear old pater be expected to know that paris is spiritually speaking no sort of way even to south germany he should have gone to brussels if he was ever spiritually speaking to get there at all and neither anthony nor francis knew that lawrence stephen had plans for michael michael went to paris with his unpublished poems in his pocket and a letter of introduction from stephen to jules revelant he left it with revolution in his soul and the published poems of Revelant and his followers and his suitcase, straining and distending it so that it burst open of its own accord at the frontier. Lawrence Stephen had said to him, Before you write another line, read Revelant and show him what you've written. Jules Revelant was ten years older than Michael, and he recognized the symptoms of the crisis. He could see what was happening and what had happened and would happen in Michael's soul. He said, one-third of each of your poems is good, and there are a few, the three last, which are all good. Those, said Michael, are only experiments. Precisely. 
they are experiments that have succeeded that is why they are good art is always experiment or it is nothing do not publish these poems yet wait and see what happens make more experiments and whatever you do do not go to germany that school of forestry would be very bad for you why not said revelot stay where you are michael would have liked to stay forever where he was in paris with jules revelot in the rue servandoni and because his conscience kept on telling him that he would be a coward and a blackguard if he stayed in paris he wrenched himself away in the train going into germany he read revelot's poems and the poems of the young men who followed him he had read in paris revelot's critique de la poésie anglaise contemporaine and as he read his poems he saw that though he michael harrison had split with la poésie anglaise contemporaine he was not as he had supposed alone his idea of being by himself of finding new forms doing new things by himself to the disgust and annoyance of other people in a world where only one person lawrence stephen understood or cared for what he did it was pure illusion these young frenchmen with jules revelot at their head were doing the same thing making the same experiment believing in the experiment caring for nothing but the experiment and carrying it farther than he had dreamed of carrying it they were not so far ahead of him in time revelot himself had only two years start but they were all going the same way and he saw that he must either go with them or collapse in the soft heap of rottenness la poésie anglaise contemporaine he had made his own experiments in what he called live verse before he left england after he had said he would go to germany even after the final arrangements had been made his father had given him a month to turn round in as he put it and michael had turned completely round he had not shown his experiments to stephen he didn't know what to think of them himself but he could see when once revelot had pointed it out to him that they were the stuff that counted in the train going into germany he thought of certain things that revelot had said nous avons trompé la poésie dans le peinture et la musique il faut la délivrer par la sculpture chaque ligne chaque vers chaque poème taille en bloc sans couleur sans décor sans rime la sainte pauvresse du style depuis il faut de la dorette toujours de la dorette he thought of revelot's criticism and his sudden startled spurt of admiration mais vous l'avez trouvé la beauté de la ligne droite and revelot's question vraiment vous n'avez jamais lu une sur de mes poèmes alors c'est étonnant and then c'est que la réalité est plus forte que nous and the revolting irony of it after stumbling and fumbling for years by himself like an idiot trying to get it the clear hard reality trying not to collapse into the soft heap of contemporary rottenness and suddenly to get it without knowing that he had got it so that but for revelot he might easily have died in his ignorance and then in the incredible moment of realization to have to let go to turn his back on paris where he wanted to live and on revelot whom he wanted to know and to be packed in a damnable train like a parcel and sent off to germany a country which he did not even wish to see he wondered if he could have done it if he had not loved his father he wondered if his father would ever understand 
that it was the hardest thing he had ever yet done or could do but the trees would be beautiful he would rather like seeing the trees trees he wondered whether he would ever care about a tree again trees he wondered whether he would ever see a tree again ever smell tree sap or hear the wind sounding in the ash trees like a river and in the firs like a sea trees he wondered whether any tree would ever come to life for him again he looked on at the tree felling he saw slaughtered trees trees that tottered trees that staggered in each other's branches he heard the scream and the shriek of wounded boughs the creaking and crashing of the trunk and the long hiss of branches falling trailing through branches to the ground he smelt the raw juice of broken leaves and the sharp tree dust in the saw pits the trees died horrible deaths in the forests under the axes of the woodmen and in the schools under the tongues of the professors and in michael's soul the german government was determined that he should know all about trees its officials the professors and instructors were sorry if he didn't like it but they were ordered by their government and paid by their government to impart this information they had contracted with herr harrison to impart it to his son michael for so long as he could endure it and they imparted it with all their might michael rather liked the germans of aschaffenburg instead of despising him because he would never make a timber merchant or a tree expert they admired and respected him because he was a poet the family he lived with herr henschel and frau henschel and his fellow boarders karl and otto kraus and young ludwig henschel and hedwig and lutchen admired and respected him because he was a poet when he walked with ludwig in the great forest michael chanted his poems both in english and in german till ludwig's soul was full of yearning and a delicious sorrow so that ludwig actually shed tears in the forest he said that if he had not done so he would have burst ludwig's emotions had nothing whatever to do with the forest or with michael's poems but he thought they had michael knew that his only chance of getting out of germany was to show an unsurpassable incompetence he showed it he flourished his incompetence in the faces of all the officials until some super official wrote a letter to his father that gave him his liberty the henschels were sorry when he left the students otto and karl and ludwig implored him not to forget them hedwig and luchin cried michael was not pleased when he found that he was to go home by dresden to bring veronica back he wanted to be alone on the journey he wanted to stop in paris and see jules revelot he was afraid that ronnie had grown into a tiresome flapper and that he would have to talk to her and he found that ronnie had skipped the tiresome stage and had grown up only her school clothes and her girlish door-knocker plate tied up with broad black ribbon reminded him that she was not yet seventeen ronnie was tired she did not want to talk when he had tucked her up with railway rugs in her corner of the carriage she sat still with her hands in her muff i shall not disturb your thoughts michael she said she knew what he had been thinking her clear eyes gazed at him out of her dead white face with an awful look of spiritual maturity what can have happened to her he wondered but she did not disturb his thoughts up till then michael's thoughts had not done him any good they had been bitter thoughts of the months he had been compelled to waste in bavaria when every minute had an incomparable value worrying irritating thoughts of the scenes he would have to have with his father who must be made to understand once for all that in future he meant to have every minute of his own life for his own work 
he wondered how on earth he was to make his people see that his work justified his giving every minute to it he had asked Revelot to give him a letter that he could show to his father he was angry with his father beforehand he was so certain that he wouldn't see he had other thoughts now thoughts of an almond tree flowering in a white town of pink blossoms fragile without leaves casting a thin shadow on white stones the smell of almond flowers and the sting of white dust in an east wind a drift of white dust against the wall thoughts of pine trees falling in the forest glad to fall he thought the pine forest makes itself a sea for the land wind and the young pine tree is mad for the open sea she gives her slender trunk with passion to the axe for she thinks that she will be stripped naked and that she will be planted in the ship's hold and that she will carry the great mainsail she thinks that she will rock and strain in the grip of the sea wind and that she will be whitened with the salt and the foam of the sea she does not know that she will be sawn into planks and made into a coffin for the wife of the sexton and gravedigger of aschaffenburg thoughts of veronica in her incredible maturity and of her eyes shining in her dead white face far back through deep crystal and of the sense he got of her soul poised steady and still with wings vibrating he wondered where it would come down he thought of course veronica's soul will come down like a wild pigeon into the ash-tree in our garden and she will think that our ash-tree is a tree of heaven presently he roused himself to talk to her how is your singing getting on ronnie my singing voice has gone it'll come back again not unless but he couldn't make her tell him what would bring it back when michael came to his father and mother to have it out with them his face had a hard stubborn look he was ready to fight them he was so certain that he would have to fight he had shown them jules revelot's letter he said look here we've got to get it straight it isn't any use going on like this i'm afraid i wasn't very honest about germany weren't you said anthony let me see i think you said you'd take it on your way to china and japan did i i tried to be straight about it i thought i was giving it a fair chance but that was before i'd seen revelot well said anthony now that you have seen him what is it exactly that you want to do michael told him you can make it easy for me or you can make it hard but you can't stop me what makes you think i want to stop you well you want me to go into the business though i told you years ago there was only one thing i should ever be any good at and i see your point i can't earn my living at it that's where i'm had still i think lawrence stephen will give me work and i can rub along somehow without my help you mean well yes why should you help me you've wasted tons of money on me as it is nicky's earning his own living and he's got a wife too why not me because you can't do it michael i can i don't mind roughing it i could live on a hundred a year or less if i don't marry well i don't mean you to try you needn't bother about what you can live on and what you can't live on it was all settled last night your mother and i talked it over we don't want you to go into the business we don't want you to take work from mr stephen we want you to be absolutely free to do your own work under the best possible conditions whether it pays or not nothing in the world matters to us but your happiness you're to have a hundred and fifty a year when you're living at home and two hundred and fifty when you're living abroad i suppose you'll want to go abroad sometimes i can't give you a bigger allowance because i have to help nicky michael covered his face with his hands 
oh don't daddy you do make me feel a rotten beast we should feel rottener beasts said francis if we stood in your way then said michael he was still incredulous you do care of course we care said anthony i don't mean for me for it my dear mick said francis we care for it almost as much as we care for you we're sorry about germany though germany was one of your father's bad jokes germany a joke did you take it seriously oh you silly michael but said michael how about daddy's idea he loved it i loved it said anthony but i've given it up they knew that this was defeat for michael was top dog and it was also victory they had lost nicholas or thought they had lost nicholas by opposing him but michael and michael's affection they would have always besides anthony hadn't given up his idea he had only transferred it to his youngest son john End of part two chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine